Hello and welcome to this week's Property Matters, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your hosts today are myself, Carol Tallon, and beside me is Brian Fox. Thank you, Carol. We have an interesting lineup ahead with some great guests, and we hope that we'll show a great side of the property market. But first, let's look at some of the big property stories of the past week. Now, I think uh, we would start off with, uh, according to breaking news, i.e. today, Dublin ranks in the top 20 most expensive cities in the world. Uh, the same site would re- reports that people on average incomes can only afford 5% of houses in the Dublin area. And in fact, according to the Irish Times, Dublin is now the most fifth—sorry, uh, is now fifth most expensive European city for expats to rent a home. And the Independent reports that while residential property prices have increased by 5.6% nationally, property prices actually fell for the third time in a row as demand eases. Well, on some positive news, RTE reports that the number of mortgages in arrears continues to decline, albeit slowly. In fact, according to the Irish Examiner this week, on post hopes to provide mortgages from 2020 and in some construction news Dublin Airport is going out for tender in a deal worth 350 million so that'll be an interesting one to watch also the Independent has reported on a hugely important ruling for Irish landlords and letting agents this week and that is a landlord was ordered to pay a thousand euros in compensation for rejecting a tenant uh, in receipt of a HAP payment so this is something that we're probably likely to see more of and it's something that property owners definitely need to be aware of So before we get into any of that, Brian, did you happen to see the front page of the Sunday Business Post this week and the comments by our housing minister? I did. And and why do you think it's significant? Why is it significant? Why do you think it's significant? Okay, well, just to let listeners know, for anyone who didn't see the front page of the Sunday Business Post, um, the headline is, Murphy, my nimbyism guilt led me to remove cap on tall buildings. So fair dues to political editor Michael Brennan. He broke this story. So essentially, our housing minister has come out and said that his the driving force behind him pushing for greater heights um, and building heights within the city centre was his guilt over his nimbyism when he was a councillor. So, um, in fact, he uh, he mentioned that he was a sitting councillor as the local development plan from 2011 to 2016 was being was being prepared. And in fact, he said that himself and his fellow councillors that they definitely came under the influence of vested interests who and he's, he does state that those vested interests thought they were doing what was right for the city. But in retrospect, they really did... Um, These would be developers, etc., right? Well, no, community groups as well um, and, and or indeed the local authority themselves. But in fact, one of the interesting things is that he said they imposed arbitrary um, building heights. So essentially, on one street, residential could go to one area in another part of the city, commercial could go to a different height. And that, again, these were very arbitrary and he felt that on reflection these were not the right decisions um, that were taken. And in fact, he said as soon as he was offered the the property and planning brief, it was one of the first things that he set out to tackle. Now, I thought it was hugely brave, as anybody who has listened to me on any station will be aware that I have been quite critical of this housing minister. Um, I haven't, I haven't certainly, um, I suppose, been, mm. well, look, I haven't been um, convinced mm-hmm. that he was the right man for the job so or that take? he knew. But what's um, your take on the argument? 
My take was that I thought it was an excellent thing to come out and say because apart from anything else we know it's true. This mm-hmm. particular minister has absolutely been accused mm-hmm. of nimbyism but by the way it's so important to point out that so has a, a collection of, of um, local councillors and I thought it was not just a brave move but I thought it was a really important one for the industry because it sends a signal that he's not going to tolerate this kind of um, following uh, this uh, parish pump politics and vested interests that he's not going to tolerate that and, and remember Michael O'Flynn the Cork developer one of the most outspoken mm-hmm. he actually he actually specified as well that maybe local politicians and local councillors shouldn't have the but power why, why that they say, do but why are you saying it's parish pump politics? Because that's exactly what but it I mean, is. Yeah, but uh, if you go to uh, any city around the world, I mean, any sophisticated city, I mean, um, I, I don't know of any pl- any pl- any place that's any more n- nimbiatic, is that, if that's the right word to use, as, as New York City, for instance. I mean, it's it's very hard to 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 uh, get um, residents uh, cooperation in relation to developments in in that town as well. Well, that's really interesting because <coughs> actually New York was hailed as one of the best in terms of the the opposite to NIMBY oh, now is YIMBY, oh, okay, and done, actually okay. that's been hailed as one of the better examples mm. of how people are learning to live closer together. Because remember, at the at the core of all this, under Ireland 2040. Ireland needs over half a million new homes mm. and we know that over half of those are going to be mm. in the Greater Dublin area. That means they're going to have to be built somewhere. Now we've seen this time and time again. I mean last week we talked about Chapel Lizard where local residents didn't want to give up their allotments. Now genuinely when we're so when we're in the midst of a housing, housing crisis we cannot have people prioritise allotments over homes for homeless people. We cannot have them prioritise allotments over social housing. We cannot have them prioritise allotments over affordable private rental and starter homes for people. It's just not a situation we can tolerate. So, so what we're talking about then is 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 the type of idea, and it's not it's not a good example, but of, of a, a kind of a CPO. In other words, they have to sell out and that's it. Or well, they have to leave. Actually, it doesn't necessarily need to be C, uh, CPO. In fact, it's a bad analogy, but yeah. an argument on those lines. Well, remember that actually on board Planola does have um, does have the powers for strategic housing developments where they don't need to go through the, the normal course of public consultation. So, in fact, what they're doing is they can put through an application that is strategically important, which, by the way, in the Chapel Lizard example, that's exactly what happened. So right. they have found that um, affordable private and social housing was necessary there and was more important than allotments. So they have the power to do that. Now, the local residents have said that they're going to, to have that decision judicially reviewed. So it'll be interesting to see if that's actually what happens. But I think there's a bigger conversation so here. And what that you're, is what you're suggesting is that it's endemic then in Irish society in NIMBYism. Is, is that what you would say? Well, not just Irish, but it's certainly endemic in, in society. It's a protectionist. Um, but we have a we are part of a global trend in Dublin Dublin and Ireland we're not exempt from this global trend of urbanization mm-hmm. so at the moment um almost half of the world's population live in in urban Mm. areas and in fact that's likely to increase to somewhere between 66 to 75% over Mm. the next 20 to 30 years so what's happening is that we've got a a trend towards urbanisation but that means that people in urban areas are going to have to learn how to live in, in closer quarters to each other. And unfortunately, we have people with large front gardens, large back gardens, private um, private parking. And now that they're sitting happy in theirs, they don't want their area to be interfered with. They don't want anything to change. And unfortunately, we have our planning system wasn't designed to be adversarial. But we have certainly allowed it to become adversarial. So um, what I mean by that is 
there isn't really an invitation to get involved in the planning conversation despite the fact that it is a public function and that people do have a so voice in planning. You're there suggesting then there's too many politicians possibly get involved. I mean, if 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 we're, if, uh, if a um, constituent of a politician comes comes to him and complaining, mm-hmm. he has too much influence in relation to that uh, to the plans for that development. Oh, uh, and he does. I'm, I'm not even insinuating. I'm saying you're it say, out straight. You're, you're saying he does. Yeah, okay. and and that's absolutely not the decision to have. I mean, look, we cannot have we cannot have somebody whose motivation is to preserve their seat. For in the short term, making a decision that's going to impact on well, the future of our influence. city in the long term. Okay. Now let me ask you another question in relation to what he has he has come up with. Um, the question of um, building um, building limits. Um, what what's your take on on, on building limits in, in this town? On Size building limits. On building heights. Heights. Yeah. Oh, I'm absolutely in favour of them. I've been very vocally in favour of them, and in fact, I've I've sat on and chaired panels cheerleading for greater heights in Dublin and actually I think a really important thing to say is that it's not just about building the highest towers or the tallest buildings actually what it is is we want to give local planners greater um, flexibility to be able to do this because before they were actually restricted from allowing a, a, a development that might have actually been absolutely suitable for we call it high rise. In truth, it's mid rise, mm-hmm. you know, because we're still not talking about high, high, high rise, buildings yeah, in, yeah. in Ireland. Um, but there are areas that are very well geared for this. Um, but the local authorities actually weren't, or sorry, the local planners weren't in a position to do it because they themselves were restricted by the local development plans, right. which are put together by the local uh, sitting councillors. Yes. And that's the problem. So actually, we do need, um, and by the way, I'm sure people will be shouting at the radio saying, you know, we don't need to build up for greater density. And look, I understand from an urban planning point of view, there are other ways to achieve greater density, but actually none of them achieve greater density better than height because height is the only way to achieve greater density and still keep green areas. But if you look at some place like the east side of London, uh, I think it's the Isle of Dogs, um, they, 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 there's massive apartment buildings and, and office and uh, right beside them are little for two bedroom houses there was there was amazing um, yeah. um, protests by the, the house owners and they were literally ignored well of so course they were because Lind- no London it, is a cosmopolitan city that it needs to grow in Congress. it just doesn't look they didn't blend in and it doesn't look from a, from a, from a living point of view uh, there's, there's a, a huge disparity in incomes too between the, between the type of housing there's there uh, residential housing and the type of apartments so what do you propose as a solution do you propose we leave things the way they are my my point really is that how does one counter counteract that 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 problem that we have in terms of nimbyism and and uh, these very plush apartments on top of each other? Okay, well, my view is the way to counteract nimbyism is that I I believe that a big cause of this is yeah. misinformation going out to the public. Um, the second thing I think developers and and uh, state and private planners need to hold their hands up here and say that they don't properly engage despite having a statutory requirement to engage with the public that they don't do that in an adequate way. So there's miscommunication? Um, Well I I would say no communication because in fact what happens is that the property developers try to fly under the radar and the reason they do that is because if they do it in a loud way they attract the same it's the same people actually object all the time and in fact David McWilliams had a very uh, stark piece about this a couple of weeks ago in one of the Sunday papers and 
he said that Ireland has as a unique brand of opposition to development where it's not just a local neighbour develop or a local neighbour that would actually object it's people coming together it's a very orchestrated and organised manner of objection and in very many int- cases there's an uh, there's a vested interest behind that so for example one of the most high profile ones we saw was up in Athenry where we saw uh, and, and it seems to be something we refer to quite a bit here but we saw local people absolutely in favour of the development a handful of local people I mean a handful as in probably less than three people it, it turns out um, yeah. but, but the main objector the, one of the one of the three most ardent objectors uh, didn't live anywhere near Galway he lived in Wicklow and he had a site that he wanted to sell Apple so they're, they're the kind of things yeah, so that are planning this was system. the Apple one trying to move into Austin Rye is that right but so that, with, with the right. processing plant I think wasn't it data centre data centre yeah, and yeah. in fact actually what most people aren't aware of because actually you know the planning uh, situation was put right in the end so as in the right decision was made after three years the decision was made to allow Apple to to uh, grant Apple the planning but here's the situation actually Apple decided no thank you yeah. after three years in, in that three year period at the same time that they started the development in Dublin or in uh, Athenry and Galway they also started one in Denmark now the Denmark one was up and running and by the time the decision came through for the for the planning in Athenry, they had already committed to building a second one in Denmark. So they effectively doubled their investment in Denmark and Ireland got none of it. And the same thing happened with Amazon in New York. And they had to leave. <laughs> so it's it, it's it's a very very difficult. And apparently, political the new politicians too that that have been voted in to Congress were very loud in relation to to it as well. So it's one of those situations that. Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes politicians don't, um, they don't take the long term view of what's good for the state. And this is absolutely a problem. And in fact, we saw it most recently, actually, in relation to the property tax. Did you see that yesterday that uh, Minister Josepha Madigan was trying to give the local authorities greater powers um, uh, to to. Uh, vary the property tax rate. Now, this is something that's not going to be popular with our listeners and I can apologise in advance, but this is the reality. Um, In Ireland, we pay exceptionally low property tax, uh, 0.18%. And by the way, local authorities already have the power and the discretion to vary that by 15% in either direction. And they use that discretion. But what... um, what Minister Madigan is talking about doing is giving the local authorities even greater power so they can vary it upwards or downwards by more than 15%. Now, I don't know what you think, Brian, but my own view is that this is a very dangerous tool or weapon to give local councillors as we face into general ele- or uh, local elections. Well, I think it's a political move really, isn't it? Because, I mean, in this particular article the Irish Independent has today, it does say that Fianna Fáil has feared a pre-local election. LPT announced by the government and has been demanding clarity over the review of property for the, for the past, uh, property tax for the past number of months. But it is a very contentious uh, issue in this uh, constituency as well. I mean, bear in mind that Josepha Madigan is, is a Dublin rut down as well. And uh, she is doing very well here as a politician. But also, Dunleer was down um, county council. Uh, have had to have had levies put on their uh, on their property tax to try and um, uh, supplement the uh, property taxes over in places like Leitrim and Longford where there's lo- low density populations. So there's a lot of controversy about the whole thing, and um, I don't know. I don't know what how it's going to. Well, fare. look, the the political response here is that local property taxes are kept locally and designated 
um, for well, local the services. Other issue there here, Carl, is, sorry, were you going to say? No, actually, what I was going to say is that um, I was actually speaking about this in another radio station yesterday, and I made the point that I had breakfast yesterday morning with a school teacher from Carlo, and she said to me that she didn't mind paying the water charges and she couldn't understand why people were up in arms over the water charges because she saw a value to that. She saw value to the water coming into her home. She sees no value to the property tax that she's paying because she's already paying, she's on the outskirts of a town, she's already paying management charges as part of her development. She sees no value to property tax. So it's one thing for me to say, actually, we've got one of the lowest rates of property tax um, mm-hmm. in the developed world and in fact we can compare it with other jurisdictions that have as high as 6% mm-hmm. but the reality is we just aren't getting the services in exchange for that and this is where the problem is breaking. Well I think also the problem is the fact too that um, this tax was prompted by uh, Fine Gael and was part of the manifesto as well and uh, it was in the uh, election after the, the, the when, when the Fianna Fáil Green Party uh, coalition collapsed and um, at the time of course we had the recession and People's people's uh, pocket, their wallets were, were were squeezed and so forth as well. So uh, the minister for local government at the time, Phil Logan, was resp- he was he was responsible for implementing this, and it's often felt that because of the fact there was so much pressure on the government, and of course the water charges were coming up next, that it wasn't dealt with as well as it could be. Well, I don't, time. I don't know about that. In fact, I would say that at the time it was dealt with as well as it might possibly have been dealt with. Um, whereas I see the problem is that it wasn't, uh, the can was kicked down the road. So last year we actually should have seen the bans change. So we should have seen the values change. But in fact, we're still working on old valuations. Um, and obviously property prices have almost doubled since then. Well, and that's, that's why problem, people yeah. are going to see their property tax almost double. And look, I get in trouble all the time whenever I refer to um, an asset uh, like property as wealth. I do, of course, before people write in and complain, um, I absolutely understand that there are people who are heavily mortgaged, some who are negative equity, but the reality is it's still an asset. You are still living in an asset. You are still paying off an asset as opposed to somebody and by the way I completely understand there are people who genuinely are don't have the income to support these changes but the reality is they are sitting on an asset whereas people who are renting are not and they're facing actually larger uh, rent hikes over the last number of years but they're not sitting on an asset to counterbalance it so I'm afraid property tax is one of those taxes well, that nobody likes to pay but in fact but it's other, one of the, the fairest taxes. The other point is I, I, you'll correct me on this because you're, you're well up in, in more property I think Ireland was one of the last countries to implement a property tax as well. Oh I mean, it was yeah <coughs> absolutely so, I mean, Pro- property tax is actually one of the, one of the <coughs> fairest forms of taxation. So the point is that in order to have your services uh, such as lights um, street cleaning yeah. parks etc the, the councils, the local authorities have to have some sort of income. Look, that's exactly right. But unfortunately, every time we make that argument, people literally text me in their street address and say that it hasn't been cleaned in four years. Well, so the question, I, that, I don't know. The question, but the question then is, the question that has to be put to like wherever your political view is on water charges was, how, is it, how are they going to be funded? Yeah, is it through the central exchequer or is it through local... local where, where, the, where the local authorities... Okay, the the the, the, the uh, it's, it's it's collected by the revenue commissions, but at the same time, then it's given out to the to the county the county councils. Uh, Brian, I still think that's the wrong that's the wrong question to ask. We actually should be speaking to our local authorities and asking where is my property tax being spent? Show me where it's being spent, and then I might feel happier paying it. Um, so you think there's a lack of lack of transparency then about the whole thing? There, there absolutely is. But look, that's that's almost a conversation for another day. Um, one of the things actually, well, you know, actually, it's interesting. The executive summit 
is coming up now on the 5th of April and this is a summit there's actually going to be a very interesting housing panel discussion here because they're bringing the private and the public elements together so actually we're going to have a panel discussion that includes you know the head of the housing agency John O'Connor as well as uh, our most controversial property developer Michael O'Flynn and they're going to be joining with a panel of experts from across the public and private sector just to see how can we tackle um, the current housing crisis you know what collaboration needs to happen and then what action needs to come out of that so we're really looking at a very um, action focused panel discussion that's going to be taking place so that's on April 5th that's in uh, yeah in Clontarf Castle Hotel or Castle Hotel yes so and what time does that kick over um, it's a morning panel so I'd imagine probably 8 to, to 2 that they're normally the hours but I have been advised that there are a limited number of tickets av- available for mm-hmm. the executive summit okay. um, so again that's in two weeks time it's it's certainly geared up to be a very interesting housing discussion probably one of the most interesting panels that I've seen in a while so if anybody is interested in attending and going to to witness that I would say go to executivesummit.ie and um, there are still tickets available or so we're told so it's time for a quick break now coming up in part two we've Daniel McLaughlin and Ed Barrett directors of Gravis Planning to help us tackle some of these planning issues Your community radio for South Dublin This is Dublin South FM. Okay, we're joined now by Daniel McLaughlin and Ed Barrett of Gravis Planning. And so, guys, you're very welcome to the show. And you might have just heard we were talking about planning and we were talking about nimbyism. The two seem to go hand in hand. Um, You, of course, might have a different perspective on this being the experts in the area. So um, talk to me first about the work that Gravis Planning are involved in. Okay, thank you, Carol. Um, We're a planning consultancy. Uh, with offices in both Belfast and Dublin, active throughout the entire country, um, advising developers, uh, sometimes local authorities, uh, but essentially guiding people through the planning system um, or systems, as the case may be, as we work okay. across and when the you Irish say system and, and the Northern Irish system. Very good. When you say people, is that, uh, is that more likely to be individuals or planning developers or local authorities? It, it, it can be a range of, of people, Carl. So uh, we have a wide range of clients. They could be individual developers. Uh, they could be uh, private citizens developing their own home. Uh, we work across the commercial sector. We've got planning permission for hospitals, schools, hotels, um, infrastructure, energy infrastructure across the country. So really a broad range of clients across the board for projects big and small. Okay, very good. And I'm sure you heard us mention earlier about um, the importance of public consultation and maybe what's gone wrong with that, that we seem to um, not have the levels of engagement that we want from the public in terms of local businesses and local residents, but yet we seem to be attracting a higher level of objections. Mm-hmm. What's gone wrong? It's an interesting question, Carl, and I think a lot of it is um, a factor of our planning system and how it is structured to enable people to engage and when it enables people to engage, because essentially it is late in the development process that people have an opportunity to engage uh, once an application is submitted, typically, is um, is the first opportunity people think to engage on the project. And as a result, we've ended up, and this, I don't think this is the intention of the system, but it's the way it's evolved, I think, is that we've ended up with quite a confrontational system mm-hmm. where people's instinct when they see a proposal um, 
be submitted is to think about how they can stop it or delay it, mm-hmm. as the case may be, rather than engage constructively with it. That's um, interesting. That's an interesting one because actually I have found that um, it seems to be the case that our current system allows people to believe that their choices between the status quo, nothing changing, or between the proposed development. And generally speaking, they're not the only two options, but if they're the only two options presented to the public, well, then they're always inevitably going to go with no change. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair point. And especially we're in an age now where people have access to information 24-7. Uh, they're very aware of what's going on in their own communities uh, and they expect to know exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often when a development propose- proposal comes forward, as you've touched on, Carl, the first a local resident or the local community will know about it is when a proposal has been submitted effectively mm-hmm. in its its final form. As Ed mentioned, at the minute this seems to be leading to challenge through judicial review at, at the tail end of the process as opposed to gathering views earlier the, on in the process to then allow that to feed into the proposal. That's a very expensive way, yeah. though judi- judicial review is a very expensive way for uh, local businesses or local residents to come together to do this. So um, I, I really, what is the answer here? I mean, I, I perhaps I'm cynical, but I've taken the view that um, property developers want to fly below the radar with their developments because they have seen that our system just attracts um, I'm not going to say necessarily unreasonable but we know there's been vexatious um, objections and we know that they've been objections by parties with vested interests Mm -hmm. so how do we make it that uh, developers can engage with the public at an earlier stage um, and really inform them. Mm-hmm. I suppose to qualify our position slightly, we're obviously very pro-development. We're mm. a planning consultancy. By and large, we advise people who want to put new development in place and yeah. want to bring forward proposals at work. Um, there is space for conversation and engagement probably at a much earlier stage in the process, mm-hmm. at the design stage, when a developer's bringing forward uh, a proposal. Now, developers shouldn't fear that. They shouldn't fear that process because what we see is when it's done right, it leads to a better proposal and a better outcome for the developer, um, hopefully in a, in a shorter time scale as well, because if you can highlight issues at an early stage, it saves you then trying to address. But is there a natural conservatism now with people in, in Ireland in relation to planning and, and, and looking at uh, developments? From the developer's point of view or from yeah, the from, from, an, from an Irish point of view. I mean, are we, are we that much more conservative in relation to uh, new plans coming on board? In, I, in the I think you're very generous calling conservatism. <laughs> I genuinely think it's oh, protectionism. Really? Yeah, I, I, think, oh, I, genu- I think you're very, yeah. I think you're very generous calling yeah. it that. It's that uh, bad. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's probably fair to say um, you have people in local communities who have bought houses or built houses. Um, they like the the area the way it is. They like their house the way it is, their views the way it is, whatever the case may be. And they often are reluctant um, to allow any change. Now, that's a broader conversation. You, you, can, use, you can use the word NIMBY. We've yeah, used well, it well, many well, times. We're going back to the conversation before the, yeah, the, the yeah. previous segment then, really. So you're, you're, you're uh, proof of the pudding. Absolutely, yeah. And... I mean, it's it is an issue throughout the country. It's it's, it's um, you know, but communication has a key role in that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's speaking to the local community, whether that's speaking to political reps, mm. um, I suppose there there is an onus on the developer to create an understanding around what they're doing, 
Uh, I think you touched on it earlier, Carl. There's a greater need for a lot of these developments. Mm-hmm. Um, Ireland and the Dublin area crying out for housing. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually, you know, in many ways you could consider it as strategic infrastructure in a way. It's, well, it's actually, that's what our board Planola has done. Yeah, we actually yeah. touched on one in Chapel Lizard earlier today and you might have seen there that um, the local residents are opposing uh, strategic housing there mm. despite the fact that it's going on a site that currently hosts allotments. Yes. Yeah. That, that goes to the city centre. That's something we're seeing um, a little bit more frequently, I think over recent months especially, mm-hmm. that local residents groups are looking at strategic housing schemes come through the system and thinking, hmm, what can we do here? We don't have a right of appeal because you don't. Through and the they don't even have a right to system. consult. Mm. Well, they can submit their observations on the scheme once it's submitted to onboard Planola. And with these schemes, typically uh, there will be an application website set up so people can view the plans and everything else in detail. So they do have an opportunity to uh, submit their views, but they don't have an opportunity to appeal the decision of onboard Planola Mm. because onboard Planola is the the final arbiter. Mm. So really all that they're left, if they're looking in the traditional... Uh, mindset how to delay this or how to overturn the decision and just say no we don't want anything in our backyard uh, to coin the phrase Um, all they really have left is judicial review Mm -hmm. and that's an incredibly expensive and technical and time consuming process and it's it's really almost the nuclear option for residents to be considering but that's increasingly where it seems they are, are starting to look. Yeah. And it's a great shame, in my opinion. Well, you know, it is a shame. And the thing is, you know, look, I, I, I definitely speak out about NIMBYism a lot, but I also have the opportunity that I'm actually brought into community groups quite a lot to, to talk about this. And one of the things that um, I have definitely found people never feel that they are being that that they're coming, that they're taking a NIMBY approach. People never think that it's um, they're blocking. Uh, progress or they're blocking development that's badly needed uh, for unfounded reasons. Generally they have very um, well thought out reasons. So that's the situation. They genuinely believe that um, the local infrastructure there isn't isn't there to support it. They genuinely believe that the local, um, whether it's uh, traffic clo- flow, whether it's uh, local schools, they just, they generally have a good reason for not wanting to do this. So how do we address those? Because I I think it's quite unfair, even though I've been guilty of it myself, it's quite unfair if we group all of that as nimbyism because in fact, in many cases, there are very valid concerns. So how do we address those or who addresses those? (laughs) No, I I think you're right. People obviously care about their area and what is developed there and want to have a say. Mm -hmm. And that's the key thing. They want to have a say um, but right now, perhaps the system we have and the, the culture that's grown up around it leads that say to being very adversarial as the first instinct, rather than engaging at an earlier stage and thinking about how can we shape this development so that it's better. Mm-hmm. Um, we found, you know, I've worked in different systems. Um, we obviously work in Northern Ireland as well, and there's a slightly different way of doing things there. but. We have found that early engagement with communities can lead to much better development outcomes. Okay, now you're the head of, of um, development, uh, or you're the director of development within Gravis. So, can you tell me when you're sitting down to advise uh, with a project owner, is this something that is on the radar at an early stage? 
It depends very much on the development. Um, you know, different uh, people will have different approaches depending on the development, where it is, who's adjoining it. Um, but it's certainly something I think that every developer will be thinking of. Mm -hmm. How do we how do we ensure least delay to our project? And um, have you have you seen anybody? I suppose really what I what I want to know is: Are we seeing any brave developers? You know, I think Ballymore, um, despite being a very prolific Irish developer, you know they've done. I think they've handled public consultation within their London developments amazingly well. I haven't seen that in Ireland. You know, um, I, in Ireland, are we seeing any property developers who are really being brave with this? Well, it's it's an interesting point, Carol. You talk about. London developments and how um, developers there engage with the community in London. Um, it's a different system there, quite oh, simply, okay. and developers are required to demonstrate a level of public consultation before they submit any major planning application. Now, that option is open to developers here, but they don't have to. Um, so, with the, with the Hammerson development that's been planned for Dundra, be an example of that, where there's a lot of public consultation and there's architectural models made and so. Well, exactly. That that's an that's an example where um, you know a very major development um, is 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 being drawn up, um, and the developers have taken the opportunity to engage early. Okay, sure. So and uh, actually, the local um, the local community around Dundrum have been exceptionally vocal and they've contributed in a really positive way so um, they've put they've put together quite an orchestrated effort not to oppose development mm -hmm. the very opposite to actually see how can we make development yeah. all encompassing how can it be the best for the industry yeah and I, I think that that probably shows um, affording people a level of Involvement, involvement will often sort yeah. a lot of the issues but from our point of view and from a developer's point of view um, undertaking engagement at an early stage is quite often a very useful exercise in highlighting potential issues that can be avoided further down the, the Well that seems to be the problem the doesn't it? I yeah, mean well, from, from, what, from what I'm hearing from, from Carol and mm -hmm. yourselves mm -hmm. being an outsider to this type of mm -hmm. topic I mean it does seem as if there is that engagement yeah. missing Well I think there's it, it doesn't have to be a case of the developments thrown out in front of the local community. Yeah. They pick and choose what happens and what doesn't happen. Obviously, all these there, there will always be an element of nimbyism, and mm -hmm. it, it will just and and that's why we exist. never we never look for um, unanimous yes, agreement it, um, in planning applications. It, it'll always exist. At mm -hmm. the same time, for these developments to happen and to improve local areas, there's a commercial reality as well. Sure. They, they they have to be profitable ventures. They have to make sense commercially. So, um, I think. As I say, from a developer's point of view, we would encourage that level of engagement at an early stage. So what that you what can does that look like? So, I uh, mean, as Ed rightly pointed out, yeah. um, the the process and the, the legislative requirement or the statutory requirement for developers and project owners in Ireland is different. Mm -hmm. So, in Ireland, um, with the current legislation that we have, what would early public consultation look like for property developments? Well... While there's no statutory process, um, I suppose the developer can still share their vision or their plans for the area with the local community. They can receive feedback. Um, I think an, an important thing to note about other systems, I know certainly the system in the north, there's a, there's a statutory process to go through, but that doesn't mean that a developer throws out their plans and they have to take on board all the suggestions that are made. They have to document all the engagement that's that has been undertaken 
they have to show that it's been taken into consideration. That doesn't mean that it has to be included or allowed for in the final design. So, um, and is that is that a, is that a British initiative or is it unique to the UK? I certainly you've seen to Northern Ireland. Uh, it's it's the last few years our system has has changed to go more that way. Um, okay. Quite yeah. quite similar in, in yeah, London as well. It, it's been it's been a requirement for uh, quite a while mm-hmm. in Britain, shall Britain say, rather than the UK, yeah. um, and it's a requirement now to be able to submit a major planning application. You have to demonstrate. Um, community involvement and it's an actual document you have to produce uh, which shows how you've done it and how you've taken points into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a basic tenet of placemaking. Um, the community knows best. Is that is that tokenism or do placemakers take that on board? Because I, I think there's a massive element of the community knows best but I'm, I'm also reminded of um, what Henry Ford said. If I'd asked the people what they'd wanted, they would have said faster horses. And there's definitely an element of that. But the community does know best in terms of um, the flow of people and uh, the lifestyles of people there and how they use the area and how how they might use the area in the future. So is that is that taken into consideration in, in our current legislation? I think... Again, our legislative requirement right now is um, that people have the opportunity to submit their observations on a planning application once it's submitted. So there's no legislative requirement uh, to engage in pre-application consultation. But certainly um, it can uh, throw up suggestions that can improve a scheme. But of course it's important always um, to remember that a, a scheme has to work. Yeah. It has to be commercially viable and it has to be deliverable. And if you throw out carte blanche to a local community, unfortunately mm-hmm. you won't always get a deliverable scheme. So there's there's a balance. Yeah. Look, I, I think this is a an, an topic that we're going to come back to time and time again. Um, Ed McLaughlin, or sorry, Daniel McLaughlin, Ed Barrett of Gravis Planning, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Um, stay tuned after the break as we have Damien Brennan, CEO and founder of Wikibuild. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. So you're welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM with um, Ryan Fox and Carol Tallon. You can connect with us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email us hello at iPropertyRadio.com. As mentioned before the break with us right now, we have Damien Brennan, CEO and founder of Wikibuild. So Damien, good to meet you. You too, thanks for having me. What is Wikibuild? Wikibuild, well, it's I suppose it's it's a it's a free information platform for the domestic construction industry, uh, giving advi- free advice, impartial advice to the industry and actually uh, to homeowners. So it's it's a, it's a website for for domestic use. It's a platform for platform domi- for, for the domestic use. construction. So what, what 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 would I find on it if I were to if I were to use it now? Uh, so we we haven't we have not actually got it launched. So we're currently building okay. uh, we're compiling the all the information and, and guidance documents at the minute. Um, What's your plan then in relation to the going plan forward? is really to have everything got to do with domestic construction. 
so if you're if you've got a red brick house and you want to insulate it, uh, we rather than asking somebody with a vested interest in actually selling uh, a product or or a service, which is the current uh, method of of getting advice, is you, you you ring an insulating current, and they have a vested interest in actually getting work off you. We don't want to sell anything. We we basically want to provide that information to you as if you are my son. That you know that this is what you do in this, uh, so that the the materials and the methods of installation is actually compatible with your building. And wh- where did you come up with the idea? Uh, I I've been surveying and project managing buildings uh, since I was eighteen, um, and more often than not. Uh, I've focused very much on building defects. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, I was always the bearer of ba- bad news. Okay. And how so bad you had it was. to go to the the, the buyer of the, of the property. Absolutely. Yeah, m- mainly dealing with with uh, with clients. Um, yeah. And more often than not, we we seen people being advised to use the wrong materials that is incompatible. Uh, who were they being advised by? Uh, a lot of the times, especially in the domestic uh, sector, is actually the builder. Uh, the builder w- would say, "Look, we'll repoint your red brick building. We'll do it this way." They just wanted to get shut of the, the well, project. I, 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 I think, yeah, I think there's an element of uh, let's get in and get out mm-hmm. and make as much money. But I think there's also a major element of um, lack of education. I think oh, a lot okay. of the builders okay. don't. Yeah, yeah. And you, you consciously have that expertise go in then yourself, and you know what you're. Yeah, we we have it in house, but. Um, all the information and guidance is out there. You know, there's there's architects, there's engineers, yeah. there's there's, a, there's even builders and and trades are doing their own little blogs. Yeah. Unfortunately, nobody's actually going specifically to their blogs. So for you're this you're a kind of a one-stop shop then. Essentially, we're trying to collate all that information, all the expert knowledge that is is currently out there. We're we're putting it into one spot and making it easily accessible for the industry themselves, so we can educate the industry. But also, if, for instance, if if a homeowner is going to go it alone, at least they're not going it alone blind. Right, right. They can consult your website and all the services are listed Correct. for whatever, whatever yeah. the problem is. Yeah. So it sounds a very interesting, exciting idea, and uh, it, it, it sounds if it's free. It is free. So it is free. We have to ask. I have to ask you that. <laughs> you're not a charity, obviously. You're, no, you're not, you're not no my, my boys need to be fed okay. at least twice a day. Whether so, they need yes, it or not, it is. So. Yeah. so, how does it work for you then? From that yeah, point uh, so we, we, tied, we tied with this here a lot. We actually tied with the name of the, of the platform uh, quite a bit until we settled on Wikibuild. And um, the revenue model. Uh, Again, we, we can't have a vested interest in actually selling products or advising the product. We want to remain completely impartial. Uh, so what what we boiled it down to was the best way was to actually have a membership um, a membership model for the, the contractors, the trades and, and suppliers that are they're in there. And what that does is it it it, it leaves us completely impartial. But it actually also provides uh, like a, a TripAdvisor model and accountability for an industry that has a very bad name of uh, you know of rogue traders. And, and how does how does the person that that's that's dining into your site? How do they know 
uh, that, that these um, particular people that you that you have listed on your website are, can be trusted? Uh, they're, they're completely they're, they're vetted. So oh, they're they, yeah, they, they, oh, okay. they go through a regular uh, vetting uh, process. We also go back to, you know, what architects have you worked with? Okay. What clients have you worked with? We, we go back to the last three projects. Not three projects. So if you go back to three projects that they've done before, they'll cherry pick out the best ones. We go back to the last three projects. Uh, so you have a lot of vetting to that, do, obviously. That's a very important distinction, actually. Yeah, yeah. and it is important because it, more often than not, you're, you're, you're sold. And, that, and that's what currently is up on yeah. their websites is the mm. best projects. Yeah. We, we want to go to consistency. You know, yeah. are, are you your best, your, your best three, pro- your, your last three projects and yeah. how, how that process went and look at no, nobody is nobody's perfect but it's you know if there's issues happen on a site that's fine but it's how you actually dealt with those issues yeah. um, and then you know from then on so we we establish a starting point mm. and then it's it's uh, it's the professionals and homeowners and clients thereafter will actually uh, keep them and, uh, regulated. What's, what's the reaction from these people when, when you go to them to ask if, if they're willing to become part of your website in, in terms of uh, of, of, a of uptake? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's we're really kicking open an open uh, an open door. Um, we found that the industry is actually actually wants this. A lot of builders don't want to be pricing yeah, up against. Yeah, yeah. You, you want you want to be mm. pricing the oranges with oranges. Mm. Yeah. You don't want to be pricing up against John well, Wayne builders. Not only that, but actually, I, I think um, there's never been a more important time. You know, we mentioned it last week that people all of a sudden are not just concerned with who's building. They want to know what materials are being Correct. used. You know, people are, are so much more cautious than ever yeah. before. And Damien, I know from your background that you mentioned there that you dealt um, primarily with um, building defects. Yeah. How are you, I, I, how are you responding to homeowners who are, who are coming to you with building defects from during the crash? And it looks like they're ah, not going to get question. any financial yeah. relief. Yeah. Um, and we have that problem. It's, in this, it, in this it's, area. Yeah. it's really, it's really criminal the, mm-hmm. the scale of 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 defects. And I'm talking uh, specifically about uh, apartment blocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the amount of people that uh, that ha- that has affected. Mm. And I suppose one of the reasons why we have concentrated on domestic construction is because 5,000 means so much to a family or to, to, uh, to a project or even to, to, to somebody in the trade. You know, so if something goes wrong, if, if you've got a defect uh, and you only have to spend 40,000 on the property yeah. and you realise that the insulation that they use is not compatible with yeah. the property uh, or you know, they'd rise in damp and it wasn't properly dealt with, you know that that's massive uh, for for homes. But it's one thing for um, a house, but when you're dealing with blocks of apartment, yeah. which is absolutely where you are likely to be dealing with building yeah. defects over right. the next ten, fifteen, twenty yeah. years, as yeah. as this sorts through our system, um, it's it's sometimes when we talk about building uh, apartment blocks, it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that these are all individual mortgaged buyers um, and homeowners in there. So how are you dealing with that? Because it's a completely different animal than when you're dealing with your your private home where you own the four walls and the roof. So how are you dealing with it in apartment blocks? So when when the surveys are carried out in the apartment blocks, again, whenever the bearer of bad news is just how bad it is. And unfortunately, they're paying us for that. Mm -hmm. You know, so, but you, 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 I suppose I, I managed to, and I, 
about 85 people within three minutes of talking sort of illustrating the issues that uh, that are, are relevant to, the, to to their apartment block so you're talking about uh, fire fireproofing mm-hmm. you're talking about um you're talking about balconies safety mm-hmm. issues uh, with balconies um damp issues damp issues mm-hmm. uh, just poor construction detailing yeah not signed off uh, i feel a lot of this here stuff has been signed off from the offices of of certain engineers, um, well, there seems to be a lot of lot of just, just no, yeah. yeah. Um, is it fair to say, or maybe we're just perceiving it like this? But is it fair to say that um, fire safety has just taken on a whole new dimension and non-compliance with fire safety standards and fire regula- uh, regulations? It's taken on a whole new conversation since um, Grenfell in London. Uh, you know, it's suddenly in the public As consciousness. In the public consciousness, yeah. You know, and likewise with balconies since the Berkeley tragedy. Correct. You know, these are these are things that we just didn't think about. Whereas yeah. I find myself driving in the N eighty one, I look up at uh, particularly driving through Tala. There's one particular block, and every time I'm passing, I look up because there's one there's one uh, balcony that I can't believe is still in place yeah. because it is rotten away from the outside. And I was wondering, do homeowners ever come outside their apartment and look up? Because because they mightn't have the same view as somebody right. from the road yeah, and it looks completely rotten away yeah. and every time I pass it I think about it and I wonder you know is the homeowner even aware of it so these are these are things that maybe the, weren't the, even on our on no. the public consciousness uh, three, four, five, six years and ago just even on balconies you, like even even cantilever balconies mm. that are steel or concrete construction and which is the majority mm. of, of our balcony construction uh, around Dublin they pose a, a, a significant safety risk. So what, in what, what way? So uh, in terms of height. So uh, the height of a balcony of, of of a physical barrier of a balcony should be eleven hundred millimeters in height. The majority of the balconies are, in fact, when you measure from the ground to the top of the railings, is eleven hundred millimeters. But the majority of the balconies that are constructed in in the apartment blocks throughout Dublin have a parapet wall of about five or six hundred mil uh, so that there's a small wall and then you have the railings uh, installed in the middle of that wall so what you actually have there is a climbable ledge for a child to climb up so o- it's, onto it, so the, the height really starts from the climbable ledge absolutely and that's what it should be but okay. what, what, what the engineers have taken into account is the, the ground to the top of the railing height and in, in their eyes is compliant but it's 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 so unsafe that it's it's, it's almost a trophy for a little kid to, yeah. to climb up onto that. But the temptation will be there. We've all done absolutely. it. So look, there's no doubt that there is a need for your service. Yeah. And um, what I'm really interested in is how you're using technology and prop tech in particular to to roll this out. So can you talk to me about the technology so, behind? So one one of the things that we we are developing uh, that we've built for for uh, the prop tech and element and for the domestic construction industry is it's it's a it's a LinkedIn element. So we've built a, a social network okay. and portal. Mm-hmm. So uh, is that for uh, consumers or professionals? That, that's mostly for the domestic construction industry. Okay, they don't actually communicate, Carol. 
they, they don't use uh, like builders, trades and services. Yeah. They don't actually talk or network between each other. But it is your own platform, isn't it? Correct. That is LinkedIn-like. It's, yeah. It's, right. it's, it's, yeah it's but actually, that's a, that is a great point because what you have are um, masses of self-employed individuals Correct. or individuals yeah. working yeah. in two. And how would and they're you... They're not actually communicating and there's no real forums for them to even to help each other or even to network with, with architects yeah. or engineers that want them so for, are these ones that would work. almost uh, maybe be, I, I don't want to say too small, but they'd fall maybe outside, say, the Construction Industry Federation membership absolutely, agreement? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and they'd be below, will they feel themselves that they're, they're, they're not big enough, they're not mm-hmm. important oh, enough to use yeah, LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so technology can... system there. Um, that, that we're looking to look after. But these would be small firms then, in other small words? Small firms, contractors of, um, you know, five five to ten people. And uh, yeah, Damien, I think that's, uh, I, I think it's really important because actually you're tapping into self-employed people who are essentially not very well supported well, within the industry at the moment. Because so it's such a small, but, you know, and uh, you're talking about the RMI um, market, yeah. which is the renovation, maintenance and improvement market. Between here in the UK, that's a 25 billion euro a year industry. Mm. Well, who's educating this 25, uh, 25 billion euro? Yeah. Who's, who's educating them? Who's keeping them in terms of, you know, the equivalent to CPD? Uh, Wikibuild will be. No, okay. Well, uh, look, currently, nobody. Okay, so tell me, how can how can professionals? I presume you're obviously a pre-launch stage. Is that we're, we're pre-launch? We're gonna we're gonna be launching the social network in early May, uh, and we're gonna be launching the wiki end, which is the advice and guidance element, um, June or July of this year. So, so what do you need? We need contributors. Like okay. it's not well, just, it's not today, today's the day to, to call Absolutely. out to them. So, I mean, who who are your contributors? You know, who do we need to get involved in this? Because, look, everybody wants um, for homeowners to have safer and a higher standard. Correct. So and there's a huge pool of information out there. OK. We, we, uh, it's architects, it's engineers, it's builders, it's plumbers, it's electricians, carpenters, uh, we, we have manufacturers where we were speaking to at the construction uh, summit last week. We have extra therm on board to contribute uh, their knowledge and information to, to so like as, as I said, the information is there and the, the industry is really getting on board to, to sort of help the industry itself and, so and the homeowners. Fantastic. So how can people get in contact with you at this stage? So they, they can, uh, our Twitter is at Wikibuild. Um, and they can contact me at damien at wikibuild.com Okay um, Damien Brennan CEO and founder of Wikibuild thank you so much for being with us on the show today on Property Matters And that's it from, from us in the studio today thank you for joining us on Property Matters the show where property matters get in touch with the show by emailing hello at ip at iproperty.radio we'll do that again hello at iproperty.radio.com uh, okay, we want to thank all of our guests for being in, on the show with us today. Next week, we'll be chatting to Forbes contributor, um, PropTech contributor, uh, Angelica Donati. But for now, thanks to Peter Brown, who is in sound, producer Katie Tallon. We're back at the same time next week. Say, stay tuned for Bowl of Soul, which is coming up next. From um, Brian Fox and myself, Carl Tallon, have a good evening. 